of a teaching series uh, that we've been doing uh, in the last uh, few weeks. Um, And really, we've just been on a little bit of a reflective journey as a church. You know, we've we're in, a, we're in a season of transition and a season of change and just trying to figure out what that looks like. And really, we've just been taking some time to be reflective together. And uh, we've been looking each week in some different directions. So we started looking backwards and remembering God's faithfulness and, and remembering that when, if God has been faithful in the past, that will shape our faith and belief in his faithfulness in the future. And then we spent some time looking inward, thinking about what it means to be people who care for and, and look after our souls. And, that, and we, we looked at Psalm 23 and how God is the, the shepherd of our souls, that Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. And, uh, and then we, we looked upward and we was reminded that how, how all of us who have made that choice to follow Jesus uh, have been grafted into a new story. And the story that we've been grafted into means we're no longer at the centre, uh, but God is. Uh, and then last week, um, we were looking otherward. And uh, that's a made-up word, I know. Uh, we were looking otherward, and we were reminding ourselves again, in order to take seriously the call to follow Jesus alone, uh, we need other people. And so to finish up, we're going to look forward. And um, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Jeremiah 29. I've had one of those weeks, you know, where, um, no, you don't know because you don't preach on a Sunday, um, where you kind of know what you're going to talk about and then kind of God interrupts you and says, that's good what you want to say, but I think I want you to do this instead. And so it's been one of those weeks where I've been thinking one way and then kind of, kind of gone another. So if it's a disaster, we will just forget this Sunday happens and and, and move on. But um, I was in, I, we was in a staff meeting on Tuesday, and um, it was my turn in the staff meeting to do the kind of reflection. And um, I just, I actually felt God lead me to that, this passage then. And so uh, the staff have had the five-minute version of this sermon. Um, <laughs> But I just really felt prompted to kind of uh, just think about this some more this week and, um, and see what the Lord wants to say as we think about looking forward. Jeremiah 29, and I just want to first of all pick up in verse 11, a really familiar passage. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you hope and a future. That's a great verse, isn't it, to look at when we're thinking about what's ahead, when we're thinking about the future. Um, One of the problems with with the Bible uh, is that in order for the Bible to make sense, in in order for us to be able to access the Bible, we've broken it down into chapters and verses, which makes it really useful. I know, I understand that. But the problem is, is that we often, when we... When the Bible is reduced to chapters and verses, uh, we're in danger of sometimes misrepresenting what is actually being said. And this, and this particular verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is actually one of those, one of those verses. 
You know, on, on the surface, it's a comforting message, isn't it? I'm sure we've all heard it quoted. I'm sure it's on a fridge magnet somewhere. Um, you know, I'm sure some American has written a book about this passage and made a lot of money. Um, but the problem is, um, every text that we read has to have a context. And I was always taught that a text without a context is, is a pretext. We can easily and unintentionally misappropriate or misapply or misrepresent what the text is supposed to be uh, saying, uh, what the context is. And sometimes we can actually say the opposite to what the text is saying. We do this all the time with Scripture. I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 it's the famous wedding verse, isn't it? Love is patient, kind, long suffering. It sees no wrong. It, love never fails. The problem is it's got nothing to do with the love of a man and a woman. Um, so it's a, it's a verse that's true, but taken out of context. And so this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, is also one of those kinds of, of, of passages. So what is the context and um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do this as quick as I can. But God's people, uh, Israel, have been taken into exile. They've been made captives by the Babylonians. And primarily, this is due to their disobedience. Um, and if you like, God is using Babylon as, as an agent of judgment uh, against Israel for their sins and their disobedience and their rebellion. And so as, as, as people, as a people, the, the Israelites at this time are desperate. They're desperate for God to, to rescue them and free them from their captors. And it's during the Babylonian exile that God raises up prophets, prophetic voices. And now there were a number of prophets that were called by God uh, to speak to Israel, but there were a number of prophets who weren't. Who, who didn't speak for God. Verses 8 and 9, it says this. It says, Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And you see, what, what's happening is, is that these, these people, these so-called prophets, are, are, are telling the people what they want to hear. You know, the people are desperate. God, come and rescue us. Take us out of captivity. And they're all like, hold in there, guys. It's going to happen soon. God's going to come and move. He's going to rescue you. He's going to take you back home. But that wasn't true. That was a lie. That was, that was deceit. And the response Jeremiah speaks is in verse 10. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill. In other words, guys, you're going to be here for a while. This morning. And it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage. So they too may have sons and daughters. 
Increasing number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city in which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, this passage shouldn't be that new to many of us. If you've been around us for any length of time, you will know that this passage of Scripture has been a formative uh, passage of Scripture in, in what we believe God is calling us to do as a church family. But that as, we look to the, as we look to the future, as we look forward, I think we can find some contextual nuggets of truth uh, for us this morning. And so I think the first context of uh, this passage is that it gives us a theology of people and place. You see, the promise of God in this passage isn't spoken to an individual. You know, Jeremiah 29.11, it's not spoken to an individual, but it's spoken to a people. It's not a comfort passage for someone looking for a new job. It's, it's not a, a passage for someone looking for Mr. or Mrs. Wright. We've all heard that scripture used in that way, haven't we? It's not about personal prosperity. It's much more than all of those things. It's about the formation of, of a people. And so when God says, for I know the plans I have for you, he's not saying that so individuals feel warm and glowy on the inside. He's saying it because for the next 70 years, they're going to be in captivity. He's saying it because they need to settle down where they are. Uh, They need to put roots down and they need to settle in. And so the first thing we learn about this context is that it's about people. It's about a people. It's not about journeying, transforming people. The other thing, and the thing I want to kind of labour this morning, is that it's about a place. It's about a place. It's a theology of people, but it's a theology of place. And the first thing I want to start by saying is, is God puts people in places. Now, I don't know how you ended up living where you live, how you ended up in Northampton. Um, When I first moved here, I didn't feel like I chose to live here, Um, but I live here. But how did you end up living in your neighbourhood or your streets or the community that you're part of? I'm guessing you lived there because you made a choice, maybe because the property you live in was in your price range. Uh, maybe it's there because um, you're closer to your work, closer to family. Maybe you're there because you grew up here. You have no choice. Um, this, is, this is where you are. Maybe you're here because you're at university. Maybe you're here because you was at university and you haven't gone away again. For Israel, the context of the passage is they are where they are because of their uh, rebellion and disobedience to God. It says this in verse 4, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I have carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And what I want to suggest is, although we may think that um, we ended up wherever we are 
for many different reasons, I want to suggest that ultimately we are where we are because God put us there. Because God has placed us there. Acts 17 and verse 26, it kind of uh, echoes this kind of thought. It says this, From one man he has made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he has determined the time set for them and the exact place where they shall live. And why did he do that? Why, why would God do that? And it goes on to say, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if you've ever took the time to consider that. You are where you are because God has put you there. God has placed you there. So God puts people in places. God puts people in places for the long haul. And that's a hard one, isn't it? You know, Northampton's quite a transient place, maybe because we're in the middle of... And you see, the challenge in a transient culture is to learn to be obedient to God in where he might have placed us for the long haul. You see, having a a theology of place means recognising that God has put you there and he may have even called you to die there. I remember hearing stories of the missionaries from the last century and they left with just a few belongings and a coffin. (laughs) And the place that God was put in them, they expected to die, die there as well. And you see, that's hard when we live in a culture that says, you know, you can stay in that place until you get a better offer. You know, you can stay in that place until you can afford that bigger house somewhere else. You can stay in that place until your kids need to go to that particular school. And it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to be the person that says, you know what? I'm here to the day I die. I'm here to the day I die or until God tells me otherwise. And for the people of God in this passage, they're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. I don't know if you realise that's a lifetime. That's a lifetime. And what does God say to them? Verse Verse 5, he says, Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. And so God puts people in places. And he puts people in places for the long haul. He calls people to put down roots, uh, to build lives, to build families, to, uh, to, to have children uh, uh, and enjoy the place where he's called us to live. John Wimber, the, um, the founder of the Vineyard family that we belong to, he used to say, old orders are good orders until you get new orders. And you see, we live in a world that continually is calling us to find the next best thing, to chuck it all in and go this way, to live the adventure. But in a culture that's striving for bigger 
and better, maybe the bigger heroes are the ones that say, we're going to stick put. You know, we're going to stay put and, and stay in that place where God has us. Now, God may say to some of us, go. And guess what? You better go. You better go. Because it would be disobedient not to. But we rarely celebrate the obedience of those called to stay. I don't know if you've noticed that. We, very, you know, we, we cheer on those who go and live the adventure. But some of us are called to stay put. Some of us are called to keep roots. And do we cheer those people on? I want you guys to know God has called me to this place until I die. Or until he reassigns me. And he might give me new orders, he might reassign me to something new, but until I hear that, I'm pretty sure I'm going to die here. Some of you are thinking, oh, great. <laughs> and you know, that might be seen as boring. Uh, it might lack adventure. It might even be old-fashioned. But old orders are good orders. What God has said is good enough until he says otherwise. And so God puts people in places and he puts them there for the long haul. But God also puts people in places for a purpose. Verse 7 of Jeremiah 29, he says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city which have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You see, a theology of place is rooted in purpose. And see, God puts us in places and he puts us there for the long haul. So those places will never be the same again. You see, you and I have been called to bring life and transformation to the places that we dwell in, to the communities that we inhabit, with the, in the streets where we live. We have, you see, the task of the, the exiles in, in Jeremiah, it wasn't to keep their heads down until a rescue came. That wasn't their job. God gave them that mandate, and they seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so as we look forward as a church, as we come to the end of this 40-day uh, journey of reflection that we've been on, I believe our future, called by God to inhabit that places that we... You know, I don't believe we're called to build a great church. I really don't believe that. I believe we're called to play our part in building a great city. And looking forward, the kind of church we become in the future, I think, will look a little bit like this. And I want to read something to you, and it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but I think it's almost like a prophetic statement. Um, and that as, as I read this, I, I think some of you will just resonate. There's something will resonate in your hearts that that's the church. That's the church at its best. That's the future of the church. 
And so someone who's been influencing our journey a little bit is a guy called Alan Scott, who leads the Causeway Coast uh, Vineyard in Northern Ireland. You know, they have seen um, a city of less than 60,000 people totally transformed. In the last four years, they've seen around four to 5,000 people come to faith. And God is on the move. But something has shifted in who they are as a people. And Alan wrote this, and I just really felt that this was um, something that kind of spoke into us as a church. That as we look to the future, that we don't get tied up in renovating a building, and we don't get too precious about uh, making lots of things right. But we remember the place that the church has in the future. It says this, the church of the future will move from being a missional church to loving the city. Bringing life to the city is, to, is, is the task of every believing community. Until the city experiences the life that the church has, uh, the church, sorry, until the city experiences the life, uh, the church has not fulfilled its mandate. I believe we need to move from focusing on individual transformation to a gospel that's big enough to transform whole cities. The church we become in the future will move beyond the building and will give its life compassionately, generously, creatively and relentlessly to leading the city into life. The church of the future will move from doing evangelism to leading the city into life. Jesus did not evangelise the masses, he brought life to cities. Many times we have confused bringing life to the city with taking our cities for God. Through generous hope, they learn how to wash the feet of their city, bending low for fresh grace and finding, in, finding it in the face of the lost, the lowest and the least. Our focus as the church in the future, I believe, will not be to conquer cities, but rather to create environments that love the city back to life and health. We are not winning people for Jesus or leading people to Jesus. Instead, we, are, we will love people with Jesus and allow his glorious, generous life to spill into them. In him is life. And that life lights up our city and causes them to come alive in every way. As a church, we need to learn how to wash the feet of our city. The church of the future will move from working on the city to working with the city. In the future, we want to build bridges rather than walls, partnering with other agencies and churches to supply the destiny of the city. We want to throw parties for single parents, tackle domestic violence, serve schools, provide volunteers for other agencies, work with local councillors, politicians, teachers, doctors, people of all faith and none in order to create a better city. The church of the future will move from a ministry centre to compassionate hubs. The church I long for us to become will be known more for our compassion towards the stranger than its programmes for believers. We will have a reputation not only of bringing good news to the city, but being good news for the city. We'll be a place where the poor are fed and clothed, people receive medical attention, and, indebt and the indebted are released. 
as a compassionate church, we will feel frequently out of our depths and occasionally somewhat out of control. But we are known providing dignity rather than operating with efficiency. The church of the future will move from ministry activity to spiritual authority, thus rewriting the story of the city. As the church, we will change the possibilities for the city because the church is the only community with all authority. Jesus didn't commission his church to increased activity, but with increased authority because the kingdom advances through authority and not activity. The authority of believers in the city will change the possibilities for the city. We want to, want to be marked by a greater understanding and use our spiritual authority to exercise authority through breaking oppression as we release what would be a people who do whatever it takes to get out there amongst the people, giving away what God has given us, that God's power wasn't given to churches so we could have better meetings or greater experiences. It was given to change communities that we would have greater awareness of his kingdom, who his kingdom is for. And in so doing, become awakened to all those moments when the kingdom might come. That we will intentionally create environments where divine fullness and human brokenness collide, where the desperation of man and the invitation of God meet. The church of the future will move from seeking cultural relevance towards releasing culture, that we will neither practice cultural avoidance or hunger for cultural relevance. We will no longer be intimidated or impressed by the culture. As a result, the church we become in the future will recognise and reclaim the good in culture, learning to honour every expression of life. Cultural avoidance will be seen for what it is, the design of the enemy to separate us from our inheritance. Similarly, cultural relevance will be considered far too low a goal, that we can bring life to the city, we we cannot bring life to the city by avoiding the city or by becoming the city. That we would move from trying to be trendy to being authentic innovators. When this happens, we'll stop looking to the music charts as the source of inspiration. We'll cease reducing creativity to dramas and flag-waving. And instead, practice bold, creative creativity because we are unleashing something into the earth that's never existed before. A creative resonance. Doing what our Father is doing. Releasing what He is releasing. That's the church that the church would become culture carriers, culture carriers who release captives. I don't know how any of that makes you feel. Um, but there's an, old, there's an old saying, isn't there? Um, sometimes we climb the ladder of success and we get to the top and we realise the ladder was up the wrong wall. And... Um, I think for us as a, as a team of leaders here, um, you know, we've had, we've had lots of success. Um, the church has grown, it's swelled, and, you know, God has done some amazing things on our bums, sit on a seat, 
on a Sunday morning, if success is just how many people we can attend a religious experience with, then we've totally missed it, haven't we? We've totally missed the mission of the church. We've totally missed what God has called us to. He's called us to bring life to our city. He's called us to be carriers of life where, wherever we are. And you know, we, when, we, when we hear all that and when, we, when we, we do all that and we begin to see the reality of that, it's then that God turns to us and he says, I know the plans I have for you. They're plans to prosper you in the place where I've put you. They're plans to prosper you and not harm you. They're plans to give you hope. They're plans to give you a future. And suddenly, the, 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 this, this passage of Scripture is far more than, I really need a boyfriend, or I really need a girlfriend. Well, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you. Do you see, do you see what I mean? It just doesn't work that way, does it? It's, it's far bigger than that. And so what I'd really love us to do, and maybe the, the worship band will come back in a moment, but I'd really love us to, to respond to the Lord this morning. Because I think in, in some of those things that I was reading out, some of you are just like, that's it. I read that and it was like, this is language that my heart is speaking and I don't know how to articulate this is what we long for, and someone's put it into words. So let's quickly pray. Father, as we, um, as so, we, we so often sing here on a Sunday, you're sovereign over us, Lord. You're sovereign over us. And Lord, we believe that you place us in places, Lord, for a purpose. That Lord, when we think about the street where we live or the, the community that we represent, the people that we work with, the, the people that we interact with, Lord, we, we make that consideration now that you put us there. And Lord, for some of us, that's the first time we've even considered it. We thought the choice was all ours. Lord, you put us there. I think there's a, a first group of people that we're going to minister to who, you know that's you. You know God's put you in a place and you know you're there for the long haul until he says otherwise. Actually, why don't you just why don't you stand? <laughs>